Today we are talking to Ellen. He is the CTO of Level.Travel. They are the Expedia of Russia. And we cover a wide array of topics from artificial momentum, electricity, AI, failure, cryptocurrencies, and even React Native. All right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Give some perspective uh, to everybody who's listening. How old is the travel company Level Dot Travel that you operate? So we started in 2011, uh, and we launched a website in November 2012. So we basically spent a year and a half just studying the industry and developing our first MVP. I may say that only had three suppliers at the launch date. Excellent. So you looked at the industry, you analyzed the market opportunity, you built, and then you deployed within a year and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that includes the time we, we needed to raise funding because we, me and my partner, we had a full-time job. Right. Uh, and we were like working nights and, uh, and lunch breaks. We used to meet some industry people uh, and gather all that intel we, we needed. So you hustled, you had great work ethic. Yeah, yeah. Is this, this is primarily a Russian travel site, correct? Yeah, we, we currently only serve Russian customers, but um, anyone who'd like uh, to fly out from Russia uh, can also purchase. If you have like uh, an American citizenship, you can very well fly from Moscow to Turkey because it's it's just cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> it might be cheaper for you. Like uh, the nearby countries like Belarus, Ukraine, they sometimes go to Moscow to fly to Dominican Republic. Got it. Because it's just cheaper. And what, what market share do you have in Russia, like your, your site? Like how big is it? That depends on the terms we're talking because uh, the... Um, in terms of like online sales of package holidays, it just it's a very emerging market, and now we think that only about five percent of package holidays uh, are purchased online. So the rest uh, is for the travel agencies, and those travel agencies it, it used to be like forty thousand of them in back in two thousand eleven. And now the number has dropped to 15,000. That's still a huge reduction. Yeah, that's because of the economic crisis, uh, mainly because all those businesses, there were like an office in a basement with two travel agents working there. It didn't have um, any barriers to enter the market. And many, I would say middle class, middle class men, when they didn't have barriers to enter the market, that's an opportunity for you guys to come in. So let's say yeah. that 5% of the travel is booked, package travel is booked online. And you're primarily package travel, right? Yeah, we, we, just, sell, we just sell package holidays. So we don't yeah. go to the separate flights. But we, we do have a small share of dynamic packaging that includes a, a normal flight and accommodations. So 80% your package holidays. Yeah. Okay. And then how, are you like in the top three uh, websites for package holidays in Russia? 
Yeah, I would say that we're number one now. Oh, excellent. Yeah, our technology is being used by all the major players in the market because the, our website is a retail, like a store. Right. We work B2C in this, uh, in this area, but also our platform, our technology is being used by the industry leaders like search engines. There are two main search engines in Russia that compete with Google on the Russian market. That is Yandex, and they have about the same share as Google in Russia. Right, and they integrate your data? Yeah, they build their travel website, uh, and it's built solely on our technology. So it's it's just the front end they they designed. Excellent. And so how big, it, a lot of our CTOs are developer CTOs, or they're, you know, I would say almost all CTOs today have some form of product lifecycle development, like they're developing some product or, or some internal tool or something, right? How big is your internal development team? Um, we're now employing about 20, um, 20 people, and it's not only developer that includes uh, quality assurance. We have uh, two QA engineers and one analyst. Now, I have, a, I have a very good question about the QA engineer. So I was talking about this yesterday. So your QA engineers, did they start out as QA engineers or were they junior developers that you converted into QA engineers? How did you get that role filled? No, I... I... Play. Um, I put a listing out, and I was specifically looking for a for a QA engineer. And I think that's the job that uh, requires much more attention to detail than than just a developer. And that's just a totally different mindset. You have to be an engineer, but that's a little bit tricky to convert any developer to a QA engineer just just out of the blue. Excellent. So so you actually put a job listing out for a QA engineer and there was a market. Now, did you get a lot of a lot of junk applicants or did you get a lot of high quality applicants for this QA position? You know, that's a very good question because the QA engineer's position are uh, extremely difficult to fill because there is not a lot of market of uh, highly experienced and skillful people because if you are a developer, you 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 just you just develop, you just code, but you can work basically anywhere. But uh, a QA engineer, it has to, like not, not, not every company can afford to, to have a QA department. And I was uh, focusing on hiring from, from the best industry companies uh, in Russia. So I, I like, I found one girl that, that was very structurally, very, um, I would say, with a very high uh, level of um, responsibility and structural thinking. And she was able to set up all the processes and the flow, the, the quality assurance flow, I, I might say, that, um, and she was able to hire more people. Excellent. So are you, so she was able to, to look at what the QA role needed, define the processes and then grow the QA department, which is a excellent attribute. So I, I want to know today, as of today, are you still 
the one hiring developers or do you have, cause you have about 20 people in the department. So are you still hiring each developer or do you let one of your other lead developers hire? I normally, I have an HR director uh, and she just looks for resumes online and on, on all kinds of the websites. Because when I was uh, in the U.S., I was um, on a program and I worked with a company in San Diego. So they told me that uh, Stack Overflow is a very good resource for, uh, for looking for hiring developers in the U.S., but that's not the case in Russia, unfortunately, because uh-huh. they, they don't have that kind of tool. Oh, really? You, Stack Overflow isn't big in Russia? No, no, it's it's big, but uh, it's just not a very good hiring resource. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I think everyone listening gets it too. I normally let my HR directors talk to the person and just determine if he or she is just just a normal person <laughs> on the basic level, and then I let. I have a list of questions that I give to my team leaders. And then they interview the person. And then I have an engineering interview that I do myself for each and every developer. Excellent. What's your primary language at your company? We use Ruby, Python uh, for analytics, and Golang for uh, high, highly intensive tasks. Ooh. Like our search platform, which uses Golang and all those, so, those heavy lifting applications. Excellent. Do you guys have a mobile application? So actually, long overdue on this subject, and we, we, we're planning to ship it uh, right after the, the new year. Okay. Did you, did you use React Native? Um, we were thinking of it because we do use React uh, on our web um, part, but uh, we decided to go native with Swift and um, Actually, we, we, we're using Kotlin for Android. That's kind of an experiment for us. So, no, we go native with the mobile apps because that just uh, looks more natural to not to be limited by the APIs provided by the React Native and not be dependent on the tool that is, I, I would say, it's not very well tested just yet. <laughs> Okay. So we, just to give you my perspective of it, right? So I'd been really hesitant about React Native and I kept hearing about it and hearing about it for, you know, a year year or two. And then I decided because it kept coming up so much and I saw that Facebook and Instagram and Airbnb and like massive site after massive site was using it. And their, their lead engineers were putting out articles on how they're using it. And it's all on the React Native site that they link to them and stuff. They were putting out articles on how they're using it and, and how much time it's saving and all this stuff. And after about a year of that, like just nonstop, I, I finally said, okay, 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 here we go. On a small project that doesn't matter to my business, right? Like it was just a personal project. I'm going to do a React Native application and just give it a go and see how it goes. No client work or anything like that, just me. So we gave it a go and I was blown away and I was like, okay, well, whenever something's like really great, I kind of calm myself down and say, okay, well, what am I missing here? And, and so on and so forth. And, and we kept going down, making customizations, seeing, you know, where 
the the weaknesses and strengths of it are and wow it we we moved after that personal project right we moved all future work we no longer do direct directly native because react produces the native code so at any point in time i can just produce the the x code you know or the source code for whatever the framework is, iOS or Android, right? So, but what it does is it allows us to build these reusable components and we're reusing about 60 to 70% of our code base. And it's unbelievable. So all future projects, I mean, do you know what that does to a business? If you cut their development budget by 60%, it's unbelievable. So all future projects, and now we've been React, we've been React Native for almost like we've been full blown React Native for almost six months now, four to six months, and it had. Uh, so all the new development you do with the React Native, right? We because you can you can branch off and touch the uh, iOS bindings and Android code directly. You can just build it as a component and bring it up into React Native, or you can just transition right back and forth between them, and it's very, very simple. So anytime you need to do something that's not supported by React Native, so things that are supported, you can write a component in React Native, and you can share it. But the things that aren't supported, you just write it in the native language, and it's right there. So we we kept all of our employees, right? We kept all of our, our dedicated iPhone and Android developers, right? We kept them, but we added React people and then whenever we have special parts of the project, that, that 30%, right, the 30% that isn't reused, we'll have the iOS and Android developers go in and build reusable React components so that we can reuse them in the future. Unbelievable what it's done to my business, right? It, and yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, and so I've been, I've been, I was so hesitant to go, and then I finally gave in, and now I'm like, it's, I would, it's like, I would bet money that it's the future because it's just that we all got burned by like things like titanium and all of these other nonsense. Yeah. In Xamarin. Exactly. We got burned by these ideas and that's not. And so like we imagine react natives like that and it's not right. React natives like this totally different thing and it's amazing. So I I became a, a huge fan in the past four to six months of it. And it's, it's, yeah, you, you sound like evangelist. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be. I just want everybody to know. Like it it makes your it makes your life easier. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for hearing that. That's really interesting because I thought that it might limit us in some cases, like Xamarin, like phone gap and all that. Oh, horrible, kind of- horrible. They're horrible. They, they they ruined it, and that's the only reason why React hasn't spread as much. But they, the thing that sold me on it was their website, which is like off of one of the Facebook, you can get to it through Facebook or something, but there's like a react and they, and they put the articles from their lead engineers on there that talk about what they do and how they do it. And it's just very open. And I, if anything, I'd go back in time and do it sooner. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's a thing to think about. Yeah. <laughs> So I super, super, I, I'm surprised. I didn't realize I was that excited about it until <laughs> I started talking about it. So, so I want to know, when are you guys, are you a fan of Elon Musk? Yeah, some, somewhat. Somewhat? I think, yeah, I think the whole world is now. Right? It's a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit confused by all the hype 
because uh, I think a lot of people are saying is just kind of uh, public relations kind of stuff, but I'm very impressed by his ideas and his ability to think big. And, you know, that the things that SpaceX mainly achieved is is really impressive as an engineering achievement. And that's what I want to know. I want to know from, yeah, the SpaceX reusable rocket was great. Uh, I want to know when is Level.Travel going to offer SpaceX packages, vacation packages? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It depends on their technology. We have a very long list of technical requirements. I'm not sure if they can be able to fulfill them all. Well, if you asked Elon Musk, he would say next month. (laughs) (laughs) And he's a little bit afraid of the AI, so I'm not sure we can work on this. (laughs) Right? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. What do you think about the AI? Are you you afraid of it, or do you kind of just see it as like, I'm so focused on business and what I'm doing right now that AI is not really on my radar? I'm not, I can't tell that I'm a specialist or I, I have very deep understanding of all the technologies behind AI because you have to probably work full-time in the lab that studies all the kind of neural nets and machine learning algorithms. But I think we're still very, very far from singularity, I might say, right. very far in terms of technology and all the machine learning I've seen all the recommender engines. They're still pretty dumb. Yeah. And it's just, uh, just an application, just a very uh, useful tool in speech recognition and image recognition in, in, all, in that kind of field. But I don't think that we, we're close to building a, a full-blown AI Right, they. So, but I do believe in machine learning and uh, as a, as a technique to to work with data and to give uh, a usable insights uh, to the to the people. Absolutely, and it's interesting whenever I have this conversation because I always like to bring up the fact that in in my country, a hundred and thirty years ago, right? And there's people that are a hundred years old, right? But a hundred and thirty years ago, nobody had electricity. Like electricity was not something that people had in common place everywhere, right? It was it like barely existed at all. So 130 years and we know people, there are people in my town that are 100 years old. That's mind blowing. And we're sitting here talking about the different, you know, AI advancing. It's like we didn't even have electricity, like let alone computers or or anything of that nature. We, you know, we had basic cars at the time and now our, we have supersonic jets and rocket ships that reuse fuels. And that's 130 years, right? Yeah, it's very impressive. The, the, the time we live in, the, the pace we move, we move, the technology that's, that's emerging every day. Yeah, I think it'll happen in our lifetime. I think I will see AI fully blown in my lifetime. You hope. I don't, I don't know if I hope, I just think I will. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, you know, jumping up and down, throwing my money at it, asking people to like make it happen. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant and you know, I'm not hiding, Uh, I'm not hiding under a rock, but you know, 
You know, now it's a very big thing in Russia, all the ICO hype, all the blockchain stuff. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure if, if you have uh, that kind of craziness uh, in the U.S. It's insane. I have had, so like I said, investors call me and they use me to validate their investment. They'll say, oh, we want to put a million dollars into this company. What do you think? And the number of Bitcoin and ICO cryptocurrency projects that have come across my desk in the past month, I mean, I think I've had seven. Un- unbelievable amount of them. What do you think of it? Uh, you know, and I'm honest with, you know, they, they pay for my honesty, right? So I'm honest with them and I... I think that I like the idea of the benefits of some of the cryptocurrencies like like Dash and Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like I kind of like the idea of the independence from government, you know, because right now all of our fiat currencies are tied to political because fiat currencies are printed by governments and governments are political, right? So I, I like the independence of the currency not being like super political. But at the same time, um, I don't. It's it's growing pretty fast. I don't know where it is, and I, I don't look at it like like a super investment. Um, like when we talk about investing in coins, because I know you asked about ICO. There's like the initial coin offerings. I think a lot of those things kind of like I don't know. My my I could be wrong, right? I'm I'm wrong a lot, but the ICO initial coin offerings, they seem a little cheap to me. seems like a kind of like a marketing hype, like not a lot of value. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Uh, I'm totally, I totally agree with you because I've been talking to a lot of people and actually a good friend of mine, he, he was a kind of a colleague in the travel industry before. Uh, and then he just, he just left the company he founded and went to like freelance and all the all the stuff with a with a low level of certainty and he just likes that kind of stuff. Uh, I recently uh, reconnected with him and he was building a um, a media and internet media about blockchain technology and all this ICO stuff. And he invited me to a conference that was uh, in St. Petersburg. And I just talked to all these people and uh, there were guys who told me that they've raised $42 million. And I thought, shit, man, um, I don't think that this is enough to, to raise $40 million, what, what you've done because you're just selling science fiction ideas uh, in a good promotion video. And, and you, you actually don't have any technology because that's, that's impossible to build any technology in three months, any technology that might be worth 40 million except masquerade. Right. No. And that, that's the problem. So, and then you kind of have to see through the bullshit, right? Because they, they say 42 million, but is that 42 million convertible fiat like currencies that because what you can do is you can create an ICO and sign an arbitrary value and sell it. Right. Or you can have really unpopular ICOs that have a, a, a markup and it might not actually be $42 million. Right. It might just be a nice marketing number to say, 
like they may say, well, at maturity, it'll be 42 million or whatever it is. But if, if they're actually raising $42 million, which I fully believe is, is possible because. They have successfully raised it. So I, I've looked at their numbers. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> and that's- like I said, I'm not, I'm not surprised by any means, it, but what I'm saying is it scares me because if you put $42 million into something that's, that's like what you said, masquerade or vaporware or just some, you know, they spent five, two to $5,000 on a video, right? And put it out there and raised $42 million. That is super scary. Yeah, but the, actually the numbers are like, I might say it's more of uh, $200,000. Now the fee... Uh, of the company that uh, manage your ICO. If you want to make an ICO, you can come to a company here in Russia and they speak like 30 languages. They're going to help you set it up, help you produce a video, help you write a white paper, and you just collect the bounty. It's insane. It's, it's a problem. It's going to be it's huge problem. Because it's happening here too, Ellen. It's happening here too. And and I was trying to determine the scale, right? Because everything's very isolated. I don't see a, a lot of reporting on the total number of ICOs because everyone's, it's all private. This is the thing. Like when a stock exchange is public, right? So you can see everything. But here it's kind of private what they're doing with their ICOs and all that stuff. So it's it's like I'm trying to get context and wrap my brain around how much money is actually flowing to these junk startups, right? And it's no, it's that's worse than 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 the two uh, than the millennials, the millennium dot coms. Yeah, it's going to be like the nineteen ninety nine crash, right? Because yeah. they had all this. They said they had all this value, and it blew up. It blew up. It blew up. But it blew up in a very obvious way because you could go to the stock market and you could see it, right? So you could yeah. actually see the shares and see the money that was happening and see the valuations. But here it's invisible. It's invisible right now. You can't see it. There is no fair valuation because if, if we speak uh, frankly, you, you can't imagine a startup that's, that is able to invest $40 million in an idea. You have to start small, smaller at least, like the it's at least in russia no it's that's it's that. everywhere everywhere in business the the so i've been talking to people every single day for like almost two weeks now ctos right and the guys that have the 400 people companies they didn't take any investment capital none they they yeah they they built something while they were working side while they were working at their main jobs they built something on the side they then went and found the people to to purchase their services. They took all the profit from that first contract and rolled it into their first employees. Then they took, they, they designed the, they, you know, did everything they could in their power to design the best possible product. Then they rolled all the profit again. And that's how I, that's how I run my business is constantly, you know, doing very small, rolling the profit back in. And that's how my business has grown. It, it doesn't grow fast, right? It grows slow and steady over six, 10, 15 years. Right. But these people, what they come in and it's this, I call it artificial momentum. They, they, they take this investment capital and they just burn. They burn it on things that they don't need, things that don't bring their customers value. And they, it, it, it's nonsense. And it's going to catch up. It's going to catch up at some point. It's just when. Yeah. It's like winning a lottery and, 
and the people who win a lottery then they they lose all their money in like 90% of the cases right that is that is that is an actual thing yeah yep i think i think you're right i think it's like 90% of people that win the lottery lose all of their money because they don't have experience yeah i like that we share this this idea about the blockchain hype i think we the the, the community of engineers and technical people we should warn uh the regular people that this is not another big thing because to my mind the blockchain is just another technology like a relational database and nobody i think invested like billions of dollars in, in postgres right right yeah and that's funny too because that's like the least greedy database there is <laughs> yeah. right? right so uh that that's amazing, yeah. And you know, every time that there's a there's a one of these, I guess the buzzword would be bubble, right? Every time there's artificial value inflating somewhere, there's always the 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 group of people or the guy that's going around on the talk shows and the TVs, and he always says, "Watch out, this is happening. This is a big issue. Beware, beware, beware." And everybody blows them up and says, "No, no, 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 no. You're just, you know, the sky is falling. You're just crying." And then it happens, and then they have him on the show again in three to five years, and they all hail hail that individual as the expert, right? Yeah, I told you. I told you. So that's what we should do. We need to go on the talk show circuit, Ellen, and we <laughs> you you handle Russia, I'll handle the U.S. And because okay. because you you can't escape it. You cannot escape it. If, if you're putting money into something where there's no value and there's no return, it will evaporate. You won't, you put the $42 million in, it's a system, right? It's energy, right? You put 42 million units of energy in and they blow it and only 20 million energy of units come out. Well, you have a loss, right? But someone's going to get rich. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of middlemen, a lot of middlemen. I think the only right way now to, to to earn money on cryptocurrency is building the infrastructure like all those exchanges and and all that trading tools and that's that's probably the only way to really in the in the long run be be successful in this market and and those tools and those platforms they in order to be successful like you mentioned they have to follow the core principles and the core rules of what you and I are talking about. Because if they went and got, yeah. if they went and got forty-two million dollars to do it, then the value is not there. But if, if if they're smart and they bootstrap an app that provides real value and pushes it out and actually gets a bunch of you, you know, gets a bunch of adoption and generates revenue, then they have something real that they can pull money out of the system and and go rock and roll and make some money. Um, but that's the name of the game: is being valuable. Hey, you know, another issue is that if if you go to a venture capital fund, they then come to you or me and they ask you, uh, what do you think of a company? What do you think of their technology? What do you think of their finances? Or they can, they can decide whatever they want to do. They will request uh, due diligence. They will request all the reports, detailed plans. But with an ICO, well, a lot of people just spending money without any any guarantees and any 
proof of uh, of of this technology being being not not only successful but possible right <laughs> and that someone's going to need it in the in the end well ellen of course there's proof there's the pretty white paper and the video yeah. <laughs> and that's how i make all my investment decisions <laughs> yeah yeah definitely <laughs> Well, dude, Ellen, this has been like an absolutely fantastic talk and we're going to go ahead and, and wrap it up. I like to, I like to wrap it up with asking you the question of if you could go back 10 years, go back 10 years in time and give advice to your past self, what would you tell yourself? Um, I would tell myself that, uh, that I should do everything the way I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So you would say you're right. Keep going. Follow your gut. Yeah, yeah. Do what you think's right, and you're gonna you're gonna do well. And don't don't be afraid to fail, because whoever doesn't fail doesn't succeed. Absolutely. Well, I found that you know I was really shy about failure and things of that nature at first when I was you know a lot younger, and then I realized as I started failing, the people around me who were the other entrepreneurs around me who were watching me fail, right? make mistakes. They were saying, keep going like this happens. And, and I wasn't getting down about it, but they were just saying, you know, you learn, you move forward. And they were kind of, you know, providing me some guidance. And then I kind of started, you know, asking them for help and using all the resources I could. And what I found is that, you know, success is like almost a collection of failures. Like you go into an experience and two things will happen. You'll either have success or you'll learn something. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so you, you, the people who know the most, had that non-success <laughs> the most, right? They learned a bunch of things and then that gave them a better chance of success in the future. So I, I don't mind failing. I actually avoid people who are like scared of failing because I say, look, all you can do in life, really all you can do in life is just try things, right? Yeah, like don't get too much disappointed about your failures because uh, of course you should aim for success, but uh, just I'm always trying to make my life more interesting and more like a movie or something to, and every failure is just uh, a part of, um, a part of this great script <laughs> written by myself for me. And every, uh, thing I do is just, uh, going to lead to many new opportunities. And this is just very interesting. <laughs> we're, we're best friends, man. Like when I see my life, I'm always thinking of, like the Rocky movie, like, am I down? Am I going to come up like dun, 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 you know, like when, when do I get the, when, when's the comeback? If I'm down, I, 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 I love that comeback. And when I'm up, I'm like, all right, I'm waiting for it. Let's, let's see how far this thing goes and let's, you know, push through and come out, come out this experience a little bit, a little bit smarter than before. Yeah, sure. Great words. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Stitcher, the podcast app. We are everywhere that you are, modern CTO. Thank you so much. You guys sharing this means the absolute world to me. We want to get this information as far and wide as possible.